Hi, I'm Judy Carter, and this is the Power of Purpose podcast, where we explore how to live a purposeful life and how creative people like yourself can make a living doing what you love. And here I am on the porch at Chautauqua Institute with Ophira Eisenberg, a fabulous comic. Um, hi. Hi, how are you, Judy? Uh, it was so amazing. Um, you've moved into this new thing of hosting because you were here uh, Maria Bamford was here and at the main stage yep. which is an amphitheater uh, it's huge well, how many Out, people were there amphitheater I think they said like 3,000 3,000 people and you were interviewing her and it was so great tell me how the story how you ended up <laughs> in Chautauqua <laughs> interviewing Maria Bamford yeah so yeah, it's lucky because I, I, I do stand-up and I started doing stand-up and as things rolled forward with me trying to find my career, you know, you have to be a per certain personality to ha have people want you to host, right? That's a hard job, hosting, and I think it's often undervalued and I think often on the road when you go as a stand-up, sometimes the host isn't the strongest person. And so the idea of the ho of what the host's purpose is, I feel like in the comedy culture has really fluctuated. And sometimes people think like, oh, just put anyone to host. Sometimes people go, a great host changes a show. 100%. Yeah, and you have to have the right energy. It's basically like, welcome to our house. Uh -huh. You are at my party. Sit down, <laughs> shut up. And I'm in control. And then you have to set up the, get everyone listening in the right way for stand-up, so tell like good jokes. When I saw you on the stage, it was like, you created this environment where you were the adult, <laughs> right? But the cool adult, right? The yeah. really cool adult. And then you created, like, Maria then could be in a playpen. Right. And drop down on the floor <laughs> or do, you know, as she talked about her um, stint with... Um, mental illness and, right. and what happened and, and it felt so much like you created this really safe place for her to just totally be herself so tell me that is high praise thank you <laughs> but tell me about the phone call that she called you and how this happened because right. I thought that was so interesting so basically she uh, clearly Chautauqua had had come to her and said we'd like you to you know, do basically what this is a lecture series during the year, and then for one week they focus on comedy. So they are bringing all these great comedians in, and they do talks at 10:30 a.m. So I guess they said, "Listen, come do uh, have someone in conversation with at 10:30 a.m." Which already, I'm sure, the majority of of comics hear this and they go, "No, who would want to do that?" And, and you're brought in by the um, National Comedy Center, right? That's right. And that is um, in Jamestown, New York. It is a, a Comedy Museum. Comedy Museum, right, archives of all these comedy greats from history to now. It's pretty right. current. In Jamestown, New York, um, we're at home of Lucille Ball. Right. So they built a separate museum, and now all these comics are coming to this uh, Chautauqua Institute, which is 20 minutes away, and yeah. having a comedy week, and living on site here. And living on site like an adult 
um, I <laughs> like was gonna camp. Say, yeah, I was going to say adult daycare, which sounds terrible. Uh, so <laughs> No, because <laughs> nobody's taking care of us. <laughs> no it's just like it's a free-for-all. Anyway, so, so tell uh, me about the conversation. So, uh, so actually, it was Maria, Maria's, um, Maria was hanging out with Jackie Cation, who's another fantastic comic. They work together a lot. And they texted me asking me if I knew of someone. They were looking of someone to interview Maria and if I had some suggestions of, of some comics uh, looking for like she was looking for a female comic I think she you know wanted a person of color just to be actually and I get that even more now because Chautauqua is very very white place to break it up and so I went through a list of people that I, I was like oh these you know the right personality who's got a good personality who's a really funny woman I know that's got a right personality for hosting or you know interviewing and be interested and I sent them some names but you had even more more things like who could you mentioned a couple things which I thought was so interesting about who could like um, sum things up. And yeah, have right. A nice I said I said you know right. I've never seen these people interview, but I was like, make sure you know here's what you're looking for: someone that can pick up the ball if it's dropped. Make sure you got someone who's like really interested in you, knows how to pick up the ball, knows how to keep things back on track, and brings like the right energy to it that can sustain it. Uh, and then my phone rang and Maria was like, hey, can you do this? <laughs> <laughs> Seems you know a lot about this. So and I was like, absolutely. And, you know, just to be clear, I, I already knew Maria, but I did a deep dive. I spent many, many hours listening to all the t podcasts she's been on recently, all the articles. I went back and found old, make, thank you. Internet is just an amazing place to find everything. So I was like, what What did people write about her in 2006? Let me re just remember the sketch she did. Let me look at this little thing. And I, I put in work. And then so I you tried did the work. Yeah, and then I tried to create the story. What do you mean create the story? Well, I feel like an interview, like a good story, has a beginning, middle, and end. And so, you know, you want, and also I wanted an icebreaker that would be easy for her at the very beginning to make everyone kind of get a sense of her humor. So I was like, oh, she had some funny jobs. Maybe instead of talking about comedy, we'll talk about a funny job she had that was not comedy. Oh, and it was hysterical. It was great. She played uh, Star Trek. What was it? Was it was like Deep Space Nine character from Star Trek for a jack-in-the-box <laughs> marketing thing at a yeah, mall at a mall <laughs> and then she had the funniest line which was you know why they needed breasts in outer space was beyond me right they had fake breasts in the costume because they yeah that there was part God, of their culture God that was no, part of their space culture in outer space. yeah and then i figured somewhere in the middle we are going to get a deeper dive into the kind of stuff she talks about now which is you know her struggles with anxiety and ocd and mental illness because i felt like that was the real you know meaty part of her personality that, that was so her act that was so smart um not to lead with that because it is so deeply personal. It's what she's known for, and so wait for it, wait for right. it. Right. And, and, and it was a, a wonderful hook, and so you played that really well. So, and then, um, we're staying at the same place. Yeah. Woke up this morning, I'm doing a gig today, and um, and then it, we went on a jog, like well, a 5K. Well, let's, let's just, let's talk about <laughs> how run. that actually happened. You walked in and said, I'm going to do a 5K, and I was wearing workout clothes, but not planning on working out. <laughs> and you said, let's do it. And I just went, I'm going to jog with Judy Carter. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is so funny. And so you said, well, I've never jogged before. Let's and then it. we ended up doing it in good time, actually, because we, we, we walked and sprinted. And all. And then you revealed, oh, Judy, I took your class in Vancouver. <laughs> That's right. That's right. What I, was, I, I bought the book, read it many times, marked it all up with That's my stuff. And then some, yeah, the comics that I started with were really proactive. And we, yeah, like people made a, a case for you to come. Because that's Vancouver. how it worked, right? Yes, and weren't we playing some, d uh, like, dive the lotus? I the think lotus! Oh, my, thank you for remembering that. The lotus. Uh, and then Vancouver. a big show at the end of it. That's right, and we had a big show. Yeah, and that, that my sister awesome. came to that show. That was actually a really big deal. And was that one of the first times you did stand-up? It was. It was. Uh, okay, so fast forward, you live in... I where? live in Brooklyn, New York. Fantastic, yeah. which is very chic. <laughs> Yes, it is. I know. So location, she. location, location. I do stand up. I do a lot of storytelling with the moth and hosting for the moth. Lots okay, of, I so do a lot of hosting. I think too. a lot of people who are listening to this are very interested in what is the life of a stand up, a female stand up comic yeah. now. Yeah. And and how how does one make a living? And you seem to have etched out a, a living because it's so hard now. There's so much so yeah. much competition. Everybody and their gynecologist is it's a stand-up comic. Someone right? actually said to me, it is more popular to do stand-up than see it. <laughs> Which is, a, <laughs> it's true. Everybody's looking for an audience. Please, some, you're more popular. You know, if you said, hey, what do you do? Well, I'm an audience for stand-up comic. Oh, oh please yeah. come oh, to my, everybody friend. would love you, right? <laughs> I'm a professional crowd. I'm, I'm, really? I'm a crowd. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a really good laugher. And listen, I'd pay you. <laughs> You'd make more money being you would. someone's audience. You would. You get calls constantly. Yeah, I'm just really good at following people. <laughs> I, 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 you know what? Professionally, I like things on Instagram. I, re I do a lot of retweeting. <laughs> I do a lot of retweeting. And, uh, yeah, that's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I guess the way I, it, I approached me. it is um, sometimes I, w I think what I did was wrong. And maybe that is the m how everyone thinks about it. But how I approached it was the um, many irons in the fire kind of approach where I wish I could be that person that just goes, you know what, I'm good at writing one-liners. And I am just going to write one-liners until that pays off. Okay. But I'm not that person. I was like, you know what I'm good at? Huh, who knows? So I do stand-up. I got involved with the moth. I loved the moth. So then I was like, I'm doing storytelling. Uh, I hosted a lot. And people wanted me to host, you know, fundraisers and stuff where they just wanted someone funny. But you're really, you know, also helping them. Uh, you're, you're, you're building up what their cause is. And through all of those skills, kind of ring mastering and energy and bringing humor and being like warm and friendly as a presence on stage, I auditioned for a new radio show podcast that they wanted to do on NPR that was a trivia show. I do not do trivia. Uh, and I got the job. So that is a hosting comedy gig, but it's, it's like dealing with contestants. And then th there's an interview. So I've learned how to interview. And that is the main job I've been doing for eight years with all, and then I just do all other stuff around it. I wrote a book. You know, I just always... Why do you think that is wrong to do that <laughs> scattershot approach? Well, I feel like it... Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of advice that you see in 
um, career stuff and work is all about focusing. But I do believe in entertainment, you don't always have the luxury to focus. You have to work. <laughs> At least that's my experience. Like you well, have to figure out how to use what you have in whatever capacity to make money. Yes, but you're talking to creative people here. Yeah. And you and I are creative people. And you're asking creative people to make a rather linear um, left brain decision, which never works. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, if we talk about, because this podcast is, the theme of it is the, the, the power of your purpose. Yes. So let's just say your purpose here is you love entertaining people. Love it. Uh, and I think uh, with your talents as a host probably comes out of you have an understanding of the audience and what is needed to go in and fix it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, problem solving. Right. <laughs> I I would. <laughs> your family is probably a little. You felt that need to do growing up. Probably. I think you just made a real accurate <laughs> assumption All right. summary. All right. So let's just say. I'm going to assume that, be presumptuous that, because I think <laughs> it's a safe bet with most most comics yeah. to say uh, things were pretty screwed up as a kid, <laughs> and you felt you could fix it by <laughs> doing a little song and dance <laughs> and <laughs> tell us some jokes. Right. Okay. So, so let's just say that becomes your purpose, and then you see someone. You took my class in Vancouver, I did. which was great, and you yeah. went, okay, yep. this feels good, stand up. And then, you know, you seem like somebody, I think, I think you're wrong about you being wrong. <laughs> I'm going like be blatant. I'm going to call that, that's the name of my podcast. You're wrong about being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are a yes person. I am a yes person. Bec and I know that about you because it's 8 a.m. in the morning. I come out on the patio and I wanted to do this 5K that they had this morning, and um, and I overslept, and you know everybody had already just started. <laughs> That's right, they're all and running. It was just, and I said, "Hey, to hell with it. Um, let's do the 5K and just do it." Yep. Right. And you said, "I've never done a 5K <laughs> before. Actually, I've never even jogged." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. And nope. then what did you say? Uh, and then I said, I think, like, let's go. I was like, you can you can take off. You're like, I'm not going to take off. That was you actually the nicest <laughs> thing anyone's ever said to me. I was like, you just take off. When I'm holding you back, you just run ahead. You're I'm like, I'm, my, I'm not doing that. I'm in my 60s with <laughs> asthma, right? I'm <laughs> when I jog, I have people with iron lung whiz past me. But you said yes. I said yes. I've never done this before. Um, I don't think I'm going to like doing it. Um Fine, I'll do it, right? Yes. For some crazy reason. Beautiful day here, overlooking the lake. But no, you're going to go do something you haven't done. And and to me, for you to diss that attitude is is what is wrong. <laughs> because you, 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 say, you say yes, and saying yes has um, ended you up it's true. in That's a pain gig for NPR, which is impressive. And you come out on stage in front of 3,000 people, 
and they give you know introduce you with your credentials and it's you know and people are going oh we love NPR <laughs> that's what everybody's like, Ooh, Ooh NPR, NPR we love NPR no it's true I mean I think that's there's a lot of talk about the power of no which in our culture in terms of like people focusing th- their career and learning when to say no right and that's a, about worth I think talking about self worth at a certain point you gotta say no because I'm not gonna do that because I'm worth more the power of no and sometimes you get more yeses with no but that is never how I run my career never especially starting with stand up I said yes and I think most stand ups will do that if you really want to do it you say yes to every gig I mean Maria was even talking about on stage you're at a laundromat <laughs> at 2pm you're you know you're in a basement at 2am like you'll you'll just you just because ha- the game is doing it and you can't figure out I how loved to how do she it. said like what she said well I love gigs with low <laughs> expectations exactly. at a laundromat they're not expecting much and so, yeah, and there's tons of distractions. And so, um, but I, and even sometimes when I have agreed to a gig now, because now I'm like, I have a lot, I have not the same amount of energy. I have more responsibilities just in my real life because I have a three-year-old. I decided to do that way late in life. Uh, and so sometimes I'll say yes to a gig that I'll go, I shouldn't be doing this anymore because it's, it doesn't have, I like, does it pay? Does it this? Not enough. And then I'll get there. And do it, because I always, I'm not a canceller, uh, and I will get something out of it. There'll be someone there that gives me another gig. There'll be a joke that I finally figured out. There'll be some reason that I'll go, see, and j- that's the positive feedback that will make me say yes the next time. And I also think it's at where you are in your life. Right. Right? I mean, with now that you, you have a child, yeah. and it's like... All right, am I working the laundromat or spending time <laughs> with my kids? That's right. Do you know? And I think, and also, children are expensive, you know. They are I love what expensive. Maria said about money. That was interesting. Because she, and you know what? She, um, she's true to her word because she also discussed with me what she made here to make sure that I was paid correctly. So she said on stage that she believes in, in, in um, what's the actual phrase? It's like open book accounting. Open mm-hmm. book accounting. So she's completely transparent about what she makes. When she gets deals at clubs, she actually texts them out to people if they want to see them. She did say on stage exactly what her yearly annual net take is right? as a performer, right? Nobody does. And she also said, like, um, she did a Netflix special, and she said she was getting, like, 200000 as yep. I recall. That's right. And then she, they had an opening act. Um, someone warm up who was and they, right, and, and, they and they said, "Well, they're paying her hundred and fifty dollars," and she said that what's horrifying is what they're paying middlers and um, opening the opening um, act, which is usually the MC, the hardest job, is ex- has not changed since the eighties. That's right. And so she said that's deplorable, and she insisted on giving her for her five minutes twenty five hundred dollars, and that is extraordinary that a headliner never cares about the opening act and the middle act and so she's doing she's really doing some really really good open accounting about uh and about what they're paying comics and and it is so rare because you know i knew this about her and i started to think this is what people do 
So I actually had a gig work, a potential gig at a, at a Jewish community center doing stand-up. And I thought, I have never done these kinds of gigs. I should reach out to a few people who I know that do them and ask them how much to charge. Assuming that this, we're all in this frame, I just thought, oh, great. I'm so glad finally we're talking about this and comics are trying to take care of themselves, each other by <laughs> being open about what they make. Turns out, no, it's just Maria. <laughs> Because yes. <laughs> nobody wanted to tell me what they got for the gig. No. 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 No, 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 no. Which is very unfortunate because I do think it would be a lot easier if we did. Yes. It is. It, what is it about it? Because I was thinking I was just going to say how much I'm making for this gig. And then I got really nervous. It's because, hard. Because I went like, if I told you what I'm making... And then you told me what you're making. And then if you made so much more than what I'm making, um, then it would be like, oh, you know, then, well, because then we understand the inequality. Right. And we all. would be like, someone thought you were worth this and I was only worth this. And then we would go to our prospective people, whoever did the deal or maybe ourselves and yell at them. Yeah. And then the rest of our day in Chautauqua, we'd go and steal things. <laughs> Try to make it equitable again. Make it, yeah. That's 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 interesting. Well, secrecy. I, I mean, wasn't it? Who was the actress? She was in a movie that had uh, like five leads, <laughs> and she was a female. What was? Oh God, I forgot her name now. And she Boogie Nights. No, no, it wasn't Boogie Nights. It was. Anyway, she found out that all the male leads were making twice as much as she was. Mm -hmm. Right? And she sued. And did and she win? Yeah, she won. She won. They paid her as much because... And, and that, I think it's the secrecy that, um, that, le that allows people to get away with this. Yes. And, well, and that's like the other thing, I think, with the stand-up world. You know, as we're just talking about, like, so many people are doing it. So maybe this will change. I'm not really sure. But when when it felt like there was only a tiny piece of pie and one person could have it, I feel like that's where the secrecy kind of became part of the whole thing. Because it was like, oh, 20 of us are always working. So we, we all know, oh, we're all making five grand. But when one person has the only shot, then it's kind of secret what they get because it, it becomes is. so coveted. It reminds me back in the days when we all struck um, in L.A. Uh, for the comedy club and the improv yes. to pay us. And we were really scared because, you know, if we were on the ones striking that Mitzi and Bud wouldn't bu book us anymore. And that was more frightening than standing up for. I mean, that's the hard thing. But it took the it took the Jay Leno's and the people who yes. were uh, the stars uh, to not cross the picket line and to join uh, join it. That just made the difference in the world. So let's let's just end this with um, a bit talking about advice for we always like to give advice to the people who are listening yes and and in this case we're talking to creative creative people yeah now you go do you go out and work the open mics in New York a little bit I feel like um, New York has there are shows constantly there are so many shows every hour 
I swear to God, I'm not even over exaggerating. Mm-hmm. If you is there a 4 p.m. show? There's a 4 p.m. show. There's a 4 p.m. <laughs> really? show. There's many 4 p.m. shows. Oh my goodness! So you know, there's the open mics, which I I know about, and there's a few people that run great ones, and they are 4 p.m. and they are sign up and and they're I mean they are exactly what you think they are. You go there and you kind of are talking to just other. Um, people that are just starting out it is mostly just to hear the words in air <laughs> it's not a great place to feel any sense of like oh that's something <laughs> it's mostly just to hear mm-hmm. the words in the air but then there's just tons of you know fun book low stakes book shows that you can endlessly do mm-hmm. and then there's the clubs and then you know and and these high kind of higher status book shows so i'll do a huge just variety of all of those and and but constantly and the, and the NPR piece was that how did you find out about that audition ha thank you for asking you know because I think we have this idea that how do people find out about auditions oh it was the agent oh I saw a posting uh, in this case for this particular thing uh, they had seen comics for about a year I didn't know that they saw comics for about a year, but they'd seen comics for about a year to host this. They'd actually even piloted with a couple and weren't particularly happy with the direction. So they opened auditions again. And I guess the, uh, the myth is, because I wasn't in this conversation, is that they felt like they had seen everyone. However, it's an audio project, so they're using a sound engineer, this lovely man, Paul West, who records tons of all kinds of stuff, interviews, comedy, and he recorded me a lot hosting the moth shows and he said to them the audio engineer said to them you know who you haven't seen ophira eisenberg and they said well we don't know her all right we'll see her so it was the audio engineer that is allowing me to pay for my child's preschool (laughs) 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 and and okay and so you you started to emcee the moth Yes, right? I started. And how did you d- end up start to do that? So the, you know the moth people who love that the moth and I th- like ten years ago I went to a moth story slam. They weren't even a podcast or mm-hmm. a radio show yet, and I just fell in love with it. I loved the energy of the crowd. I loved what was happening. I mean, no one was making a dime. This was just all for the love of it. And for those of you who don't know what the moth is, it's storytelling. Storytelling, venue. short form storytelling. Yes. you five or ten minutes max. A true story. And from, many from your cities life. have them, and they yes. they you put uh, your name in a hat, and they draw, and That's right. you just do a story that night, five minute story, and then you, they pick a winner, and that moves on, and then you can even end up on the podcast, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and sometimes you don't even have to. There's no process, so sometimes you'll end up on the podcast. Sometimes people have, and you don't have to have a background performing nothing. Like you just yeah. People you have your with story. interesting lives. So I loved it. I put my name in the hat. I got it picked a few times. I liked the people that went there because at the time, not like comedy. I felt like the audiences at comedy shows at the clubs, it's much better now, were it felt a little like not super intellectual. Mm-hmm. So this was like a really smart crowd, super hip, people mm-hmm. from all over, lots of writers, lots of artists, just all these creative people together. And to me, that felt like I felt like I blossomed there and I d- went up and storytelling was catching on. And for me, I think I found, I mean, really, I know I did. I found my voice as a comic by doing that storytelling stuff. Wow. Because all of a sudden I was like, oh, who I am is fine. 
And then you start to host it? And then I start, yeah. And so then some they needed, they were growing and they needed someone to host. So they just asked me and I was like, great. And I just continued. Because you were, so I, I really think the message uh, of this entire thing is that you can sit at home trying to figure out what the purpose of your life and what kind of career you want. But just get out you gotta of get the out house. There. You get out of your pajamas. There. Yeah. <laughs> get out of the house. And you will learn something just even sitting in the audience, talking to people, networking, because one of the reasons you're here is because you're friends with Maria. That's right. And she called you. And there is a network out there. And I think what you do on the stage, you could do even off stage. We talked about being in the audience yeah. and hanging out and getting to know people and finding your way to the stage, whether it be stand up and not or. I don't believe you have to decide stand up or storytelling. Right. You they, know, they or are, hosting. That's right. They are all they are all like working different muscles. Yes. On the body. Uh, and also. Never be rude to anyone that you work with because you never know who's going to recommend you for your next job. 100%. 100. I, I mean, so many comics I know who've taken my workshop and now are making a lot of money and driving a Tesla um, <laughs> <laughs> um, got their gig because someone liked them who is another comic. I think and said, that's hey, 99%. Open. Yeah. I think that's open. I really and I and to that thing, you know, right, there if being unbelievably talented is fantastic. And you're doing but um being nice and easy to work with is more important. 100 <laughs> 100%. Nobody wants a diva. No, or just someone that's like uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So what uh what do you have coming up? I know you're telling me about Every Everything I'm doing, oh my God, right. Every, every scar is every, a story. Every scar is a story. Yeah, so uh, ongoing um, hosting Ask Me Another on NPR, and we do live shows. We're do about to do a Texas tour in early September. We're doing shows in San Antonio, Houston, uh, Dallas, and Austin. So that's kind of fun. It'll be the first time we do live shows, but we've never done a tour. Mm -hmm. Cool. And I'm working on a solo show. I'm going to debut it in November at a festival in New York called the Frigid Festival, and it's about scars. It's every, every scar is a story. I am covered in, like, physical scars, um, talking about those. It's funny and dark. And <laughs> and well, great. Well, you think. everyone, <laughs> you know, get out of the house. Get out of the house. And if you do, and if you're in, going to be in Texas or in New York, look up Ophira Eisenberg because she's fabulous. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Yay. Let's go eat. If you would like to learn more about turning your purpose into a career, go to themessageofyou.com where I'll give you free access to my online course. Click the button in the top banner when you get there. If you'd like to learn more about what I'm doing, then go to judycarter.com. Thanks for listening, and let's find your message and launch your career.